to find what somebody is gifted at or talented at or skilled at and to try to match that job with that individual. I mean, that's kind of the magic of where management and leadership come together because the better you do that, the less management it requires. I'm not babysitting anymore. You know, I'm not having to do co fix collateral damage. I'm not having to piece things together or whatever. Yeah. However we want to look at that um, in that sense. And so, you know, I, I said Einstein a minute ago, Einstein's quote, you've probably heard this before. Uh, everybody is a genius, but if you measure a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its life believing it's stupid. And, and I think there's a lot of that, you know, to, in today's world. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. If you've managed people for more than 15 minutes, you've dealt with someone who wasn't performing to expectations. And sometimes that person is you. While our gut instinct is to drive that person or ourselves to work harder, focus, and just get the damn job done right, that isn't always or maybe never the best approach. Joining me today to discuss how we ought to think about underperformance in ourselves or others is Randy Anderson. Randy is an entrepreneur, a dynamic trainer, and a must-see speaker at HR conferences across the country. His work focuses on helping people become more engaged in their work, better equipped to do it, and empowered to live a more fulfilling and influential life. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Randy. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Well, let's start by defining underperformance because that's kind of a pretty broad spectrum. At one level, yeah. we're always, always, you know, we're all always underperforming. None right. of us can do a hundred percent all the time to in every portion of our lives. We just can't give that maximum potential all the time. Right. But we know A players when we see them, right? Uh, they get the job done. They willingly give that discretionary effort to push the organization forward. And they're effective in their work relationships. And then on the other extreme, you've got people who, for one reason or another, just can't get the job done. And then in the middle, you've got your average employee, right? They show up to do the job. This isn't their life. This isn't, you know, this is, they show up to do the job. They do, you know, they do pretty much what's expected, but, you know, they're not superstars. They don't want to climb the corporate ladder. They want to come do their job and go home. And now we're calling them quiet quitters, which in a, in a lot of cases, I don't think is a fair term. Um, but so when we're talking about underperformance and improving performance, which of those segments or how do you define who we're talking about there? Well, I think you made a great point when you said to some degree, we're all always underperforming. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot, um, with people, especially if I'm doing coaching with upper management, you know, you've got people have a potential below that somewhere they have a capacity and below that somewhere they have their performance, you know, so I can, uh, I'm going to perform to my capacity. So my difference in my capacity versus my potential capacity is what I'm capable of doing now. Potential is I've got a lot of intellect. I've got a lot of energy. I've got a lot of connections or whatever it is. And I, I believe my boss believes my company believes I can grow into more than I am, but my capacity is my current, you know, 
total output. If I was on my best effort, best uh, day, and we're generally performing somewhere under that. So in that sense, I agree. We're always to some degree underperforming. Um, and I think you, you made another great point that you, I talk about the middle 50. You know, you're going to, you got about 25% of the people who are going to make it with or without their boss. They're going to make it with or without, you know, the training that the organization is going to provide. They're going to go find their own. They're going to read books. They're going to listen to Ted talks or podcasts like this or whatever the case may be. They're going to grow on their own. I think you've got about, yeah, right. And, and they're the ones that are going to rise up. They're the ones that are going to own their own business or do something magical or be at the top of the pecking order, whatever that may be. And, and that's not for everybody and that's not a knock on anyone, but right. I think you've got about 10% on the other end that would leave you any given day if they could, but nobody else is going to hire them because they're just toxic or they're not very good until you do something about them. You're stuck with them. I think you have about another 15% down there that uh, they may not be out looking for a job, but they're not very loyal to you. They're they're about half checked in. Um, they're going to do enough to keep somebody off their back and hopefully get their 3% raise, but they're not really going to ever do much more than that. It's that middle 50 that you pointed out that a lot of times uh, you know, are not – they're not looking to be in the spotlight. They don't want the microphone. They don't want to be at the front of the line. Um, you know, just put me somewhere in the middle where my mistakes don't glare. I want to live in anonymity to some degree, do my job and go home. And again, that's fine. I have no issue with that. I just continually push people to perform better so that they they maximize their capacity and their performance. So more specifically to your question, you know, I think underperformance is one of two things. Either we're not working as hard as we can. We're not working as smart, as efficiently, as effectively as we can and, and utilizing our, our capacity, much less our potential. The second one is I'm not meeting someone else's expectation. So the first one is more, I know what I'm capable of and this job's not very hard. So it's the I know intrinsic I do, piece, right? Yeah. 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 I know I could do more, but I don't want to work that hard. I, I'd rather have a four day week than a five day week. I certainly don't want to work 60, 70 hours a week. The other one is I'm not meeting my boss's potential or the customer's potential or, you know, minimum expectations for the for the position or whatever it may be. And and really, I mean, to a great degree, that's the one from a management perspective. That's the one most people are, are working toward. The one that's intrinsic is got to be a leader is going to have to draw that out in somebody. They're going to have to inspire them. They're going to have to coach them. They're going to have to, um, you know, help that person kind of see a vision that perhaps they've not realized on their own. And so that's kind of two different things. And so, you know, when I look at managing underperformance, it's a whole lot more about the tasks and the timeline and, and the accuracy and uh, playing well in the sandbox with other people and things like that. When we're looking, we, we've got an employee who's not, or maybe it's ourselves, we're underperforming. We know what expectations are and we probably know, yeah, I could probably do that, but it's just not. It doesn't excite me. It doesn't, you know, or it doesn't excite that employee. Clearly this, this person is coming for a paycheck, but I need as a leader, I need more from them or me personally, I need more satisfaction from how I'm spending eight hours of my day every day. And, and for a lot of people, that means doing it well. I use the word fulfillment, you know, okay, I've, got to, yeah. I've got to get that fulfillment out of what I'm doing, or I'm going to get burned out. I'm going to get checked out. I'm going to, as you said, quiet quitting. I think it's ironic that they've chosen the term quiet quitting because they're talking about it all over social media. Right. You know, people have been disengaged or actively disengaged for generations, especially, you know, decades in the minimum generations likely, but they just didn't post it all over the place on Facebook or right. social media somewhere for everybody to, to announce that they're quietly quitting. So yeah, I agree with that. 
So what should we be asking ourselves or as leaders about other people when we see they're not there? What, you know, I'm a leader and I, I need to figure out how do I get more out of this person or how do I yeah. get myself aligned with my, my circumstances so that I can have more fulfillment in what I do? Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and, and let's start on the backside of the coin. You kind of touched on it right there as the leader. Uh, if you're, if you're trying to lead someone else, there's a an author and speaker named John Buchanan said the task of leadership is not to put greatness into people, but to elicit it for the greatness is already there. So as a leader, I mean, I'm underperforming if I'm not getting them to perform better. I mean, I know that sounds like I'm using the word to define the word, but as the leader's job is to get them to, to want to do better and to perform better and to perform more quickly, less expensively, whatever the case may be there. So now let's go back kind of to the original question. I think one thing we've got to look at is there is one type. Well, there's two types, but it, but it, I think you've got two hemispheres of underperformance. One is typically one of two people. Either the hapless underperformer, think about Michael Scott on The Office, think about Wiley Coyote, you know, is a, is a picture I have on, on the slideshow when I do this presentation for a live group. They're not, they're not belligerent. They're not defiant. They're not angry. They're not mad. They're just kind of hapless. Yeah. And, and probably a lot of people like them. They're fun to have in the break room. They're fun to have at happy hour or at the birthday lunch once a month or whatever the case may be. But they're not a high performer. As you said earlier, they're not a high performer, certainly not an emerging leader or something like that. Uh, the other one is the landmine employee. You know, they're the ones pretty bristly. They're the one that's pretty gristly. Um, might teeter on bullying sometimes in the workplace. Certainly is going to be non-collaborative. Um, in all likelihood, they're, they're going to, they're going to like going to their cubicle or to their office and just being left alone. You come in and bug them and they're going to let you know with their tone of voice that you're a bother to them, things like that. So I think you've got that on one side. I think you've got an, another group in the broader group and what we talked about earlier, the middle 50. So if, if the hapless underperformers and, and the landmine employees and the landmine employee may be really, really good at their tasks. They may be really, really good tactically. They may be really, really good technically, but they're just not, they don't play well in the sandbox, right? And they're extremely expensive though, right? Because oh, yeah. those are the ones who yeah. are killing the rest of productivity of the rest of the team, cohesion, yeah. and our ability as an organization to to pull together and, and get things done. I call them office vampires. They're sucking the life out of the organization. Right, right. And they take your energy. Uh, you know, I've got, I'm working with a company right now and and everybody's going to the president of the company to ask operational questions. And, and the question is, is that because they think it's going to end up on his desk anywhere because nobody likes the, the vice president of operations? Well, I think the reality is they don't want to go poke the bear. They'd rather go to the president and ask him. And so, you know, when we have them on that side, it's not to say the work is not getting done. If it's a, if it's a landmine employee, the work may be getting done. It's the toxicity that they're bringing to the environment that we've got to worry about there. But, but again, if those are your bottom 25, and we're going to talk about the middle 50. You know, I think there's some things that we can ask there. Uh, you know, are they knowingly or unknowingly missing the mark? I mean, you know, they may think they're doing fine. And, and the problem is they've gotten three annual appraisals in a row that said meets expectations, meets expectations, right. meets expectations, or 3% exceed. raise. Or yeah. exceed. And, yeah. and so, you know, I think that's part of the problem is we've basically told them they're doing okay. And, and everybody's heard the deal, which you don't correct, you condone. That goes for mediocrity as much as it does gross underperformance. Mm -hmm. So if we've told them, hey, you know, I, 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 worked, I knew a guy, he ran a 
TV station in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And he said he had this guy working for him. And he said he was really pretty good at his job. He just didn't have a good attitude. And he said, he worked just hard enough that I wouldn't fire him. And I paid him just enough that he wouldn't quit. <laughs> right. And, and I'm like, man, what a, what a terrible relationship, work relationship to have there. So, you know, I think that's the first thing is to look and say, is there a, uh, is there a self-awareness? Is there a, a, an understanding, a mutual understanding that we've got a gap, you know, and, and I read a great article yesterday um, that we're tending right now to focus on the gap, the, the, you know, and that's the Ken Blanchard referred to the problem is the difference between actual behavior and expected behavior. Okay. And, and if you call that the gap, this article talked about, why don't we spend some time focusing on the gain? Where are we compared to where we used to be? But, you know, we've laughed and I don't know when this is going to air, but we've all talked today as before, we, before we recorded this, it's six degrees where I am today. Well, it can get up to nine and that's a 50% increase, but it's still really, really cold outside. Right. You know, but on another day, if it's 50 and it goes up to 75, well, that goes from a light jacket to short sleeves and shorts. You know, that's a bigger difference at 50% increase. And so to say somebody's gaining or doing better, they may still be not meeting the expectations or the necessary minimums, for lack of a better way to say it, to make that job, uh, you know, perform the way that it should to produce the results necessary. And that's, you know, I, I, before I got into training full time, I was a sales manager. And that's what that's all that matters is we got to pay the bills. I mean, you know, we've got to pay payroll. We've got to pay the bills. And somebody somewhere up the line wants a profit or they wouldn't be in this business. And so just saying that we increased, you know, just to say that I lost a pound does not mean that I got healthy. Right. Now, I'm moving the right direction. That's a gain. But if there's a if there's a gap in performance and it's keeping us from delivering the necessary deliverables, the the necessary profit or the necessary productivity, or if it's a if it's a nonprofit meeting the mission, you know, if mm -hmm. it, if, if you're doing some nonprofit healthcare or social work or whatever, there's still an expectation of what's got to happen for them to do what they exist to perform what they exist to fulfill or create. So I, I think part of what you're saying here is really we've got, we're trying to correct an early error by leadership because if the job description doesn't really set what the expectation is clearly, and we didn't orient this employee when we onboarded them to here's what the expectation really is, and here's the metrics, and here's how you know if you're performing, and here's how you're gonna continually get feedback on where you're at. Yeah. And and now, you know, if we didn't do all of that, it's six months into this relationship or two years in this relationship, the employee thinks they're doing what they're supposed to do. It's what's in the job description. And they're just, you know, booking along, doing what they're asked. And we're frustrated with them. That's more of a leadership issue, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and and I, yes. And, and I could split hairs there and say that's kind of a management issue also. Because if I look at leadership as creating culture and environment and management is accomplishing tasks, how many people have you heard, you know, well, I, I'm just, you know, I'm still trying to get through my 90 day probationary period. I'm the kind I'm looking at it going, I got a 42 and a half year probationary period mm -hmm. from the time that I got out of college till I decided to retire. I'm always on probation. I mean, I should always feel like somebody's gauging, somebody's measuring, somebody's judging, somebody's evaluating. Right. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of got a soapbox and you actually, met, we know each other well enough. You may have heard me say this in a presentation at some point. Um, I, I'm really on a, on a big, so will you play along with me for a second on this sure. real quick? 
So for, let's try to set aside the fact that we're on an HR podcast. Okay. okay. Let's set aside the fact that we've kind of been talking about this already. If I were to just say to you, if I were to walk up on somebody on the, walk up to somebody on the street, tell me the first thing that pops into your head when I say evaluate. What's the first thing you think of when I say, so I'm evaluating a used car. I'm evaluating a trampoline. I'm evaluating a Christmas present for somebody. What's the first thing that pops into your head? Uh, first thing that comes to my mind is is criticism and okay. then then measurement against some okay. standard. Yeah. All right. If I say the word review, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Uh, more of a reflective, backward looking uh, okay. uh, assessment of whatever's happened or, or of whatever you know, it is, right? Whatever experience yeah. was with something. Okay. If, if I say the word appraise or appraisal, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Um, the uh, estimating the value. Uh, okay. Of That's something. the first yeah. thing everybody always says, yeah. right? Okay. So if I'm evaluating performance, I'm criticizing. If I'm mm -hmm. reviewing, I'm just looking backwards. But if I'm appraising it, I'm saying, here's how you bring value. Here's how you can contribute even greater value. So let's start with, do we need to wait 90 days or a year to do a performance appraisal? We could say the performance appraisal, how this is going to be, the value is going to be measured, value is going to be brought, is going to be by you doing these things. And then when we get to the end of 90 days or six months or once a quarter or once a year, we're going to look and say, here's where you have brought value. Here's how well, here's what I need you to do to bring greater value. Now, whether that's adding to or whether that's fixing stuff that should have already been there, either one of those will contribute greater value to the customer, the whoever the end user is. Because for some people, I mean, especially an HR person, the end users may be internal customers. Right. You're not you're not directly affecting the person on the other side of the cash register necessarily. You're indirectly affecting them. But that's where I think you hit it right on the head. We want to establish that in advance. You know, we want to talk about that. We want to be crystal clear on here's what needs to happen. Here's how we're going to measure that. Here's what difference it's going to make. Uh, and here's kind of a timetable. I, I've kind of got, you know, I, the longer I've been in this business, I've been doing this a long time. I wish I would have thought a lot of the things that I talk about now when I was still managing other people. And, and you know, I, I say to people kind of constantly, if you bring value, every day, there's going to be a spot for you somewhere. Right. You know, and we've got to bring value to the customer. We have to know, we have to be crystal clear on what the customer expects of us. And then we've got to convey that to the people on our team. And that may mean upstream. Hey, my customer needs me to do this. Can you approve this price break or whatever? Um, our internal customers are asking for this as we're in a buyer's market for job searching right now, the HR person may have to go upstream to the CFO and say, Hey, we're asking if we can purchase this or add this or offer this in a benefits package. What's that going to mean to our bottom line? So it's just that establishing those expectations early um, and clearly. I mean, if, you know, if we've got to put contents maybe hot on a coffee cup, we, can, we can't take for granted that people just naturally get it. Right. You know, we're, we may have to we may have to spell it out a little bit for them. Let's say somebody understands what expectations are, and they're not hitting their their targets. And again, they're not bad enough to fire, but they're you know, and we want to work with them. How should we? Have, what other factors are out there that we should evaluate to determine you know if if you know we've got a, a, a square peg in a round hole, or, or do we have or do we really have? something here that we should spend some time working on? There's several, uh, you know, we'll, we'll touch on a few here. First thing I want to look at is do they like what they're doing? 
and and I'm not saying everything about your job is going to be, you know, uh, music playing in the background, flip flops and shorts in, in a, in a peaceful setting, but I kind of got to like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I took a promotion that didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to, or, or I applied for a job that turned out to not be that. Maybe there was a change in teammates and there's not good chemistry. I had that conversation with somebody this morning that they've made a job offer to somebody and, and this person's coming out of the military into the private where I said, well, you know, how are they going to, how are they going to blend with your team once they get there? Cause that's going to be pretty different. Um, you know, maybe certain aspects of the job changed. Maybe they had a change in management. Uh, the person they, they got hired by is no longer there. And so, you know, I think that's an important aspect is I, I, I hear people, you know, I had, I had, uh, I won't say who it is. It's a personal uh, relationship of mine, but just on the outside chance that somebody hears this and, and knows. Uh, nobody listens. <laughs> don't worry about it. Nobody listens to this. <laughs> uh, you know, and you say, how's work? And his standard answer, every time I asked him, his standard answer was, well, they call it work for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't need that negativity around me. You know, I don't, I, I love what I do. And um, I hope I can do it for a long, long time. You know, I try to take care of my health so I can do this for a long time. Cause I mean, what I do takes a lot of energy and I'm in airplane on airplanes a lot and in hotels a lot. And that's ta- kind of taxing right. and things like that. Um, but, but I, man, I like to like work. I like to like the people I work with. I like to like my boss. I like to like my customers. I like to like my vendors. I like to like the difference we're making. So I think, you know, to me, and, and I'm sure you've seen that before where there's people who, you know, who just don't like what they do. And, And I, you know, my, I just shake my head and I'm like, why stay? Right. Like, like why keep, why keep beating your head against the wall every day? And I, I've had Sunday syndrome. You know what I'm talking about when I say Sunday syndrome, that Monday is so bad that Sunday becomes stressful oh. and it's a real thing. I mean, Sunday afternoon, I would start getting stressed about work the next day. I mean, I hated that job. I didn't do it for very long and it just wasn't what I was expecting. And, and, and I hated life. I just hated life. And, and I was like, eh, I can't do this. I'm, I got to move to something else. There's other people that they feel like they're stuck. Well, you know, I'm too close to retirement or I've been doing this too long to try something new now or whatever. And, um, you know, this just hurts me for them, but it also hurts me for their customers and their coworkers because I know they're dragging them down as well. You said earlier, saps the energy out of people. It just right. sucks it out of you. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a recertification credit. To obtain the research information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Recert Credits. Then select episode 80 and enter the keyword Randy. That's R-A-N-D-Y. On February 8th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled Mitigating Bias in the Employee Selection Process. We'll discuss the most common ways bias sneaks into or is baked into the recruitment, interviewing, and selection process and systemic changes that can help mitigate bias in selecting employees. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after February 8th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Randy Anderson. I see, you know, we have somebody who's really technically competent in a job. They, they, and they do the job well and, and like to do it. 
and we when we fall short, we you know we need a new manager, a new supervisor, and well, you know this is you know he's our best welder. Let's make him the supervisor. Yeah. And so now he's got to do something that he may hate. And, you know, he's got to manage people and God forbid, you know, and uh, and he's got to deal with their 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 complaining and all of those issues. And so we've and we haven't given him the training. I mean, we haven't spent six months in advance of making him a supervisor because we need one next Monday on the floor. And so now we've got this. And so I think I think you ruin a lot of great employees by by thinking you're helping them. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't move them backwards because we already filled that spot. So we're just going to leave them. Yeah. We're going to lose them and leave them. Yeah, I've seen that happen a lot before. Yeah, yeah. I think I think another thing we want to look at are there skills, uh, are there talents being utilized? Uh, are they getting to do some of their, pre- you know, getting to to uh, suffice some of their preferences? And so I'm going to differentiate a little bit between skills and talent. So when when you look at talent, I think it's something that people are kind of naturally good at. Like you're naturally good at talking with people. Um, you know, I've known each other probably twelve. 15 years that about right. Yeah, at, least, there. Yeah, at least. And yeah. you know, I just, I watch you when you're in a group and you're, and it's easy for you. I'm good at talking to groups. I'm not good at talking to people. Does that make sense? Mm, like I'm right. not good. I'm not the guy who's going to go to the, to the networking event and go meet a bunch of people. I mean, I still struggle with, you know, going to an HR conference. Oh man, who am I going to sit with at lunch? It's like high school cafeteria deal. Right. Mm. And other people, I mean, you kind of, you kind of magnetize the crowd talent is different than a skill where I've done it long enough. I've been to enough classes. I've read enough books. I've watched enough YouTube videos. I've learned from another manager. And this may not have been natural to me, but I have learned to do it really, really well. And so, you know, I was the kid in third grade, fourth grade and the Christmas program that said, yeah, give me the microphone. I'll get up in front of all the parents and everybody. I was great. I'm fine with that. But a skill would be my ability to use Excel or PowerPoint or Keynote. That was not natural to me, right? So I had to learn how to do that. And then the preferences that come along there, there's some stuff we may be really good at, but we just don't like. You ever seen a kid who was really good at math, but just didn't like math class? They just were <laughs> bored. You know, look at Einstein. Right. Einstein dropped out of school. Mm-hmm. He was just bored with it, right? But he, but it wasn't that he couldn't do it. He just didn't, he didn't, didn't like school. So if they're not fully engaged what's the likelihood that we're going to get their full capacity, much less their full potential? Not very high. You know, their performance is always going to be somewhere lower than what their capacity is. And likely their capacity is going to be much lower than their potential. But if we get them into something that they're really, really good at, something that they're really, really uh, naturally gifted for or something, you know, maybe there's a kid who uh, dad's been pushing them, uh, to be an athlete, but we discover they're really good at a musical instrument or they're really good at computer sciences or they're really good at, well, that's not cool for an athlete to go do MIS, right? But the world needs MIS more than we need another athlete. I hope there's not a lot of athletes listening that are going to track me down for that. But, but to find what somebody is gifted at or talented at or skilled at and to try to match that job with that individual I mean, that's kind of the magic of where management and leadership come together. Cause the better you do that, the less management it requires. I'm not babysitting right. anymore. You know, I'm not having to do co- fixed collateral damage. I'm not having to piece things together or whatever. Yeah. However we want to look at that um, in that sense. And so, you know, I, I said Einstein a minute ago, 
Einstein's quote, you've probably heard this before, uh, everybody is a genius, but if you measure a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its life believing it's stupid. Mm -hmm. And and I think there's a lot of that, you know, in today's world. Uh, And kids get on a track that parents wanted them on. So they went to law school when in reality, they should have been something total, you know, musician or something like that. And and so, so they're doing something they're smart enough to do. They're capable of, but they don't find any enjoyment in it. And I think we do that with our kids and we do it with our employees. Hey, I think you'd be really good at this. And we think they're because they're bright and, and everything. And we steer them off in a direction that we think it'd be great for them. But yeah. then they don't get to do that thing that they love to do, that thing that they really yeah. enjoy and excel at and would rather continue. You know, I've, my youngest is uh, a freshman at Oberlin in Ohio. And um, I always am. My oldest is a, just graduated from UT as an engineer. Number two dances with the Norwegian National Ballet in, in Oslo. And so I always said, we only get one liberal arts major and the ballet kid got it. The rest of you, you have to have a, have a, have a reliable income. Yeah. Well, number three is at Oberlin and he is studying clarinet performance. So the most expensive of the three degrees I'm paying for is uh, for clarinet performance. And I even said, that's you know, right. that's, that's $200,000. I'll give you a hundred thousand just to stay home and practice for four yeah. years. And right. you know, we're both ahead, but he didn't buy it. Um, so, but if I had forced that kid who's really bright, all AP classes in high school and, you know, enjoys economics and a whole bunch of, and has a lot of the same kind of interest I have, really, you know, pretty entrepreneurial. If I had forced him to do what I wanted him to do, he wouldn't have loved it and he wouldn't have excelled. And we do that with employees too, right? I mean, we, we, yeah. we think we're acting in their best interest, but I think it boils down to leadership, having, being able to have frank conversations. Oh yeah, with with their team about what do you really want? And, what is this and job? And being mean? willing to and being willing to hear, I don't like this. I don't right. like being, you know, and being willing to say, you know what, man, let me help you find somewhere where you can just sail. Let me let me help you find somewhere that you can take flight. Because if we're really a good leader, we want we ought to want to help that person be their best, do their best, enjoy their best life. I mean, I think that's a that's a huge part of it. And a lot of that is what's intrinsic to them, really. What what motivates them, yeah. and and what you know. What, what's their purpose and their why for what they're doing? And a lot of us get too sucked into, well, I've got responsibilities. Okay, well, you've got a responsibility yourself to also use your potential, you know, to be the best that you can be. I think another one, and this may be the biggest one of all, it's certainly the hardest one to get your arms around. Do they, can they see a direct connection between their core values, their inherent motivators, and their life's aspirations? So let me, let me break that down just a little bit. Your core values, and I know your third grade teacher said you can't use the word to define the word. Right. Core values, what do you value the most? Is it family time? Is it health? Is it early retirement? Uh, is it wealth? Uh, is it freedom? Um, you know, is it, is it whatever that may be? Is it, you know, maybe you've got a cause. I've got a friend who's he's doing really, really, really well in business, but his goal is to retire early and start a basically a pro, uh, a, a nonprofit service or is a ministry for unwed mothers, young mothers and teaching them interviewing skills and life skills. And so, you know, for, for a girl who's 16 and kind of life took a bad turn and, and, and provide even a live in place while they go to those schools. I mean, that's his, that's his whole thing. And so he's not driven by money though. He's making an awful lot. And though people would look at him and go, man, that guy is just driven by capitalism. That's not it at all. That is an ends to a, uh, that's a means mm-hmm. to an end. Um, you know, but then we have people's inherent motivators. 
And I think people have one of five combination of, of more than one, probably inherent motivators, accumulation. I want to make a lot of money. I want to, you know, if I'm on a university campus, the accumulation there is I want letters behind my name. I want to be attached to some group. I want to have articles published. I want research dollars, whatever that may be. It may not be my paycheck, but it's an accumulation of skins on the wall, whatever you're measuring there. Um, the second one is appreciation and recognition. Somebody noticed somebody got promoted. I got a plaque. I got a, you know, whatever it was. I was mentioned on the website or in an article or whatever. Third one is competition. I want to outperform either myself from last year, uh, my previous best ever, uh, the person in the cubicle next to me, my brother who works in the same industry across the nation, whatever that, our competitor across town, whoever that may be. Um, the fourth one being personal satisfaction and self-fulfillment, as we've already talked about, I am just driven by, I want to like life. I want to enjoy my work and I want to know that I did my best and going down the road. You ever seen a kid who just tried as hard as they possibly could and made a C? Yeah. You had another kid who gave half effort and made an A. Guarantee the kid that made the C had more fulfillment than the kid who made an A. Sure. Uh, my roommate in college, one of my best friends, he studied all the time and struggled to make C's. I kind of blew school off and made B's, and my parents were fine with that. I was a third kid. They just wanted to get me out. And gone. <laughs> I was, they were done after I know me, the right? feeling. And so – Every time I see him get a new position or get a promotion these days, I'm like, man, he worked way harder at that than I did at what I've done to this point. Uh, and then the last one, the final one is relationship there. The, I want to, I want to don't want to be the weak link in the chain. I want to make my boss look good. I'm, you know, I'm drawn to this team atmosphere. This is really a place that feels like family. You'll hear him say things like that. Those are those inherent motivators. So if your core values are what you value most, your, your motivators are what you need the most. I, mm. I wither without that kind of runs parallel. It's not the same thing. It kind of runs parallel to Dr. Gary Chapman and Paul White's languages of appreciation in the workplace or the five love languages um, kind of, kind of runs a little bit parallel to that. How different people feel uh, uh, motivated by different, I don't care if they're cleaning porta potties or if they're working in a hospital or teaching in a school, they're, they're motivated by different things. And then the third one is their aspirations. You know, wh what do they hope for most? I want to be remembered as a generous person, or I want to make a difference, or I want to, uh, you know, I want to be remembered as a good family person. Those are, that's kind of that life goal. That's what's, what's my epitaph going to be? What are they going to say about me on, on that day when the few who cared gather together? Uh, you know, the, I talked about the Pericles quote this morning with somebody, what we leave behind is not engraved in stone monuments but what is woven into the lives of others, you know, and that's, and that's one of those things that what am I putting into people that's going to last longer than I'm here? Another great quote, there's no, I've looked and looked and looked, there's apparently no attribution on this. We should plan our lives around the people who will cry at our funeral. Mm. Well, when I think about my greatest aspiration should be to bring something to those people that's going to outlast me. And that, you know, for some people that may be a pile of money that can help them to live a more comfortable life for other people. It may be some other sort of legacy, but I think if we can help people see a direct, well, you know, I, I'm really driven by family. Work is just something I can do. Right. Work is something you do to provide for your family. You know, but if we say to that person who's driven by family, no, you cannot take your lunch hour between 10 AM and 11 AM to go watch your kids Thanksgiving special at school. You, you, we do lunch between 12 and one. Well, that they don't, there's a disconnect there. So they're right. never going to give you all of themselves because you're taking away from what is deepest inside of them. And that goes back to that man, that leader 
and that manager sitting down with that employee and understanding uh, oh, early yeah. on in that relationship, what really might, you know, we, we do a lot of behavioral assessment work on the front end before we hire somebody. And one of the things we do uh, is a review of the Holland code, which I don't know if you've looked at that, that, that assessment, but it, it drives down to what people's motivators are. And I would never not hire somebody because they had different motivators, but it tells me how to talk to them. And it tells me what to follow up in my, in my interviews and my conversations with them. Uh, even after they're hired, about what's important to them and are we meeting these needs, have these changed, those kind of things. And um, and I think if you understand that, but you're not going to understand that unless you take the effort as as the leader to, to understand them. Because a lot of people couldn't tell you. A lot of people just couldn't tell you. When you ask them what their core values are, they give you dumb looks. And, um, yeah. and so, you know, I used to have that conversation in during interviews and I realized all I'm doing is putting somebody on the spot to embarrass them because most people don't know it. <laughs> so I found other right. ways to get there and, you know, and to talk to them, you know, about, you know, why they do what they do and, and what kind of behaviors in the workplace do they, they appreciate and what, what's not worked for them. And that gets you to their values. But most people have never been through that process of figuring it out. So they don't know. It must have been on age. I mean, if they're coming straight out of school or, you know, mid twenties, early twenties, haven't taken 14 assessments during their lifetime, like I have, and haven't been through a health scare with a child to understand how important health as well as family is. And I'll, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. I heard a funny story one time, John Calipari, you know, talking about the basketball coach, uh, and and said when he gets a new a new player to come play for him, um, he said, "Hey, you know, why do you want to why do you want to make it to the NBA? Oh man, I, I want to make a lot of money. I want to build my grandmother and my mom a new house. They've they've lived in a small house." He said he'll tuck that away, and like two years later, three years later, they're in practice one day. He said, "Hey, Mike, do you and your grandmother have a falling out?" No. Why, coach? He said, well, you told me you wanted to make it to the NBA to build her a house. The way you're practicing today, there's no way you're ever going to make it to the NBA. <laughs> so kind of, a, kind of a humorous way to bring that about. Wow. But it still, it taps into yeah. what they said was most important to them. And, hey, doing that is not proving this. You know, and so that's where it really comes out um, in the end. We're almost out of time. But so let's say we've had those conversations. We understand yeah, and we we think yeah we understand what you what this person's skills are and and what that alignment and maybe we need to make changes there or maybe the environment lines up or doesn't line up with their core values and the things that they 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 want us but we see there's there's some disconnect how do we how do we have that conversation to make the decision whether this person what how do we respond to that situation you know to this circumstance yeah I mean I think we got to decide do we want them here I mean. It, they may be really good at the tasks, but not good for our team. Um, they may be really good at the strategic tactical part, but not good at the environment part or the relationship part or whatever. So the first thing we've got to decide, do we want them to be successful here? Or do we want to help them succeed somewhere else? Have they created scar tissue that even if they say they're sorry, people are going to hold on to that. You know, it's going to be hard for them to overcome the damage that they've done to the team or to the environment or the culture or atmosphere, or whatever you want to say there. Um, you know, is it possible they would be a better fit in some other part of our organization? I've had that before. You know, we just got you to write, you know, Jim Collins deal, write people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, get them in the right seat when they're on a boat. Well, they, they may need to be a different part of the bus. They may need to go to the back of the bus or come to the front of the bus. Um, and then I think we've got to put in the hard work. You know, the hard work comes after we decide that. Are we willing to help? Are we willing to coach? Are we willing to correct? Are we willing to give constructive criticism? Are we willing to hear what we need to hear 
on how we may be contributing to the problem, even as the leader. And as you said at the beginning, these may need to be questions we ask ourselves because maybe we are the underperformer. Right. Yeah. I think all of this applies to us personally too. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I've got to look and say, okay, maybe I need to make a change, not they need to make a change. And, and that's the hard part. I mean, is to acknowledge, you know what, maybe this is me and not them. Uh, you know, in a, in a breakup to say it's me and not mm -hmm. you sounds noble, but it doesn't ever play very well. But in this particular <laughs> instance, maybe it does need to be an acknowledgement of, you know, this is me. Maybe I'm not the right leader for this team. High-performing team, not a high-performing leader. That's an even harder one to acknowledge and say. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to think about there, but uh, we're out of time and I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you, Randy. Absolutely. Enjoyed talking with you. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.